your partner snores and you're sleeping in the other bedroom every night, come out to Gallery Furniture and check out Tempedic Masses and Tempedic Ergo Smart Base that responds to snoring to help alleviate the problem. If your partner snores, you're sleeping in the other bedroom, come out to Gallery Furniture, check out this incredible Tempedic Mattress, winner of the J.D. Powers Award for Best Mattress Retail, three out of the last four years. Check out the Ergo Smart Base that responds to snoring, and you both will start sleeping better tonight. Love getting prices that are lower than low on food that's fresher than fresh? Then shop at Kroger. We give you more. personalized coupons on top Good morning. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody today? <laughs> I get to wave at everybody. Okay, we're going to do something slightly different. Just slightly different. I am greatly impacted by the Old Testament and the New. Um, I have the, the great honor of, we homeschool, and so I have the great honor of teaching my children and I spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. And one thing I think about in First Chronicles are the people that King David had that would lead worship. It was the, the people that would lead worship. He'd have lots of instruments, lots of male and female singers, and they would sing before the Lord. And they would help to lead the congregation of Israel into worshiping God. You know, we've been doing this series, uh, well, the series on 1 Corinthians, but right now we've been looking at spiritual gifts 
since 1 Corinthians 12. And these people that David had as singers and instrumentalists were very skilled. There's a psalm that says, play skillfully to the Lord. And so it is to this day. The Lord has gifted some of us with a, an ability to do music. But make no mistake, my friends, this is no performance. It is never a performance up here. The thing that, that we struggle to do, and we prayed about it, today we prayed about it before we started, the thing we struggle to do is to make sure that our hearts are right and that we are worshiping God when we're singing. But I know this to be true. I do. And you know it to be true as well. Some people have a difficulty worshiping because of the song that's being played, because it's not the style they like. I understand that. I've been cured of that personally. Dave Gibson. Anybody remember Dave Gibson? That two people. What if Dave is watching this live? <laughs> Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Dave Gibson was the former pastor here, but he, he taught a whole series on what it means to worship God, and he hit a lot on, on worshiping God in song. And so that's what we're going to do now is we're going to worship the Lord in song. And when I say we are going to worship the Lord in song, I mean we are going to worship the Lord in song. So what... Our responsibility is to lead and to get this right. <laughs> and and we, we, we practice and we want to make sure that we get this right. But I don't care. Listen, remember a, a couple of weeks ago when, when Pastor Bukema talked about if you do it without love, it's nothing. It, it is just a, a, a banging symbol. John, bang a symbol. This is, this is a lot bigger in my mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, that's it. That's all it's worth. And so it is our responsibility, ours and yours, to worship the Lord now. And so let's, let's sing through these songs. Before we sing, let's prepare our hearts with prayer. But we're going to sing through, these song, sing through all of these songs. I want you to focus on the words. There are some powerful words up here. If you don't like the music style, I understand. I get it. But look at the words. Words are good. I grew up on hymns. These words are good words. And it's good to sing it to God. Sing it to the best of your ability, too. But who cares if... You, the, the, I don't want to take too much time, Jonathan. I'm sorry. One of the best performances I ever heard was at, at church camp in high school. It was this girl. She couldn't sing at all. She was horrible. She cried and sang the whole time, crying and singing to God, and it was with her heart, and it was beautiful. And I thank God for that moment. So, if you can't sing, that's all right. Your heart can. So let us, let's pray, and then we will sing these songs together, and we will do our best to honor our Lord, to honor God with these songs. So let's pray. Lord, it is our heart's desire that we would honor you with this music. And Lord, you know that we... Uh, we would love to have practiced more, and Lord, we would love to sound amazing, but Lord, it is our hearts that matter most for all of us, Lord. For we who are on stage, 
those who sit in the pews, we want to honor you, Lord. And let me say this as well, Lord, those who are watching, let us all honor you, Lord, and, and sing in the midst of this darkness that is around this whole world that longs for you. Help us to be a moment of light that worships you in all sincerity of heart. We offer these songs to you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Bring love. 
Take a seat for a second. We got a couple of announcements. By the way, good morning, CBC. It is so great to be able to be here to worship with you, whether here in person or whether you're joining us online. So hello to all our virtual congregants today as well. CBC, our aim is to gather. We gather as a church family to worship an amazing God. We grow together because we want to honor God and learn what the Bible teaches and take that and apply that to our lives. And then we don't keep that to ourselves. We go. We go to the ends of the earth with the gospel of hope. I love this church and I love our God. So right now, a lot of you all are aware, if you watch the news, India is experiencing some catastrophic things in regards to the COVID virus that is going on. And what I love is that our Go ministry, we don't just want to tell people about Jesus, but we also want to love them and meet their physical needs as well. And so we have some missionaries that are in Nepal that also serve India, and we are going to raise money to help out as much as we can. In the Bible, it says God desires no one to perish. And we can help literally, physically, by raising funds to help in that aspect. And so in the next week or two, you're going to get some more information about that. And I pray that you give abundantly to make his name great in Nepal and India. Also, we do have a praise. We have our children's ministry uh, that is looking to recruit volunteers to teach the little ones. And a praise right here is all student slots have been filled. That is a celebration. Can I get an amen? But we need nine more adult volunteers. And I'm not going to come up here and guilt you to shame. Because our desire, if we value community and being a church family, we want to run and sign up to teach the little ones. Why? Because if you look behind me, this is a result of what CBC has poured into our younger generation. And if we want to be like that, if we don't want to fall into what plagued Israel between Joshua and Judges, then we need to raise them in the truth, and we can't do that alone. And so if the Spirit is convicting you to do that today, or if you just want to be a life changer for the sake of God, we need nine people, and I expect God to do that abundantly, to go out there to that giant red door 
And I hope to see that at zero tomorrow morning. So partner with us. Join us. Let's do great things for God together. If you turn your attention to the screen, we have a slideshow of students that have come up in this church, whether high school or college that have graduated. And this is a result of God's faithfulness to all those that have served from early kids' life, to children's, to students, to now. So I hope you all get a vision of what can be if we all just serve. I am not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say, no one will love you as you are. But I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us. For we are glorious. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a blood, going to drown them out. I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. It is a blessing to see that. Uh, I started coming here in 1993. It was Greg Sauer's fault. So is Bruce Sauer in here right now? Well, if he were, I would tell him it was his son's fault. I started coming here. Um, <clears throat> this is a, and, and I've been raised, discipled by navigators. And so we, uh, or the navigators, build disciples, and it's generational. And, and that is at the heart of what is happening here, what, what Jonathan was, was saying. Uh, so we, we need to remember that. And it is always a wonderful thing to see people return and to give back and to grow and to build up the next generation and to disciple the next generation. And because of this, we will sing of the goodness of God. And that is the song we're about to sing. So won't you stand with us and join us? as we sing of this. Focus on the words. Beautiful words. Amazing words. Held in 
song has some amazing lyrics, and if you really focus on what they're saying, you will honor God in singing these words to Him. Let us do that. Beautiful words, words that could move you to tears. Resurrecting 
rest upon our brother Jonathan as he comes to bring a message to us all. We ask for your help and that we would do the things that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, we are here this morning because of victory. Amen for victory. My name is Jonathan Chang. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Cypress Bible Church and it is a privilege and joy to be able to worship with you all in truth and in song today. When I was in middle school, my father was invited to a midweek Wednesday night church service somewhere inside the loop here in Houston. And we went to a Chinese church, so we didn't have Wednesday night church. So he said, come with me, son. Okay, sounds good. I was a seventh grader. It's not like I had much to do anyways. So I went with him. We get to the church and we walk into the chapel and it's you know your stereotypical uh, midweek service you may have and there's music playing in and there are people fellowshipping and talking and catching up and you know then the worship starts so everyone stands in a pew wherever they may be and they get in their spots and I remember halfway through the first worship song all of a sudden someone stood up and started speaking in some form of sound that I had never heard in my life and I remember like hmm okay 
I'm a seventh grader. Shortly thereafter, another person, and then another person, and then another person. And at some point, you had a room of people speaking in languages or sounds or whatever that I had never heard in my life. And I remember going home that night because to me that felt really awkward and really weird. Uh, And so my dad was like, so what would you think? And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know, Dad. What am I supposed to think? And I remember that was the only takeaway I had from that evening. Almost 30 years later, still today, that's all I remember because I felt awkward, I felt distracted, and I didn't know what to do. Paul addresses that very thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1-25. through 25. I'm going to give you guys a disclaimer. I'm not here today to tell you whether we should have a cessationist view or a non-cessationist view so we can puff our chest up and understand what is tongues and what is prophecy because in the end, these are gifts that God gave us. And what we're going to focus on is the text that Paul wrote to the church and how gifts should be exercised to not be distracted by secondary things on the focus on proclaiming Christ is crucified. And so that's what we're going to study today. Leading up to... That was supposed to be on there, so a picture of a tongue. All right. Leading up to chapter 14, as Jeremy said, chapters 12 through 14 is this section of Scripture where Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about spiritual gifts, the different ones that they had, and he's given a reminder to this church that they need all gifts, all members to exercise their gifts. He wanted them to remember in chapter 12 that there aren't church members that are better than others because of the spiritual gifts they had. He wants them to remember the church needs everyone. Paul continues in chapter 13 as we lead up to today. He talks about love, but not just a simple love. He's talking about an agape love, a Christian love, a love that is selfless, a love that is self-sacrificial, one that is only seeking out the benefit of other believers, one that gives everything and expects nothing type of love. See, this is the kind of love that motivates us as a church and motivated that church in our building up of ourselves as well to worship God. And so that leads us to where we are today in chapter 14 where he's wanted to give some clarity in how these gifts are exercised. Tongues and prophecy. Because Paul needed to correct what was going on in this church if this church was going to unite and be a force for the gospel of Christ in Corinth. And so we see in verses 1 through 5, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. He starts in verse 1, immediately reminding them of chapter 13. Pursue love! This agape love, you seek it with an all-out effort. You go full-out fever. You persist and you go and you go after love. After what I just explained to you, you use that and you go for it. And what? To earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. 
this pneumatica, the greater grace gifts that we see in 1 Corinthians 12, the gift that we receive from the Holy Spirit when we become believers and it's indwelt in us, these gifts are what we have and we, we desire these gifts. Desiring means to be zealous, to be amb- ambitious. And so the question the Corinthian church might be asking, well, do I pursue love or do I earnestly desire spiritual gifts? And Paul's, yes. Do both because your desire to pursue love, to pursue God, to build up the church is to use your gifts to do that very thing. It all goes in a circle because love is the motivation for using and desiring spiritual gifts. If you're wanting to exercise your gifts and an agape love is not your aim or motivation, then you need to check yourself. You need to pump the brakes. And what gifts, though? He says right here, especially that you may prophesy. Prophecy as a gift. Pastor John, a few weeks ago, talked about prophecy as a gift, where it could be me, it could mean a foretelling or being forthtelling. And it's not with this vision that we have implanted into our heads where people are saying, I predict this is going to happen. I predict this is going to happen. No, what it means right here means to proclaim a divine revelation. One commentary even called it healthy preaching. And Paul wanted the members of the Corinthian church to ask this question. Why should I desire prophecy over speaking in tongues? And he says right here, because it's not individualistic in nature. It doesn't make you some sort of super Christian to prophesy, but it plays an important role in building up the church. We see in verse 2, because one who speaks in tongues, right? people were abusing their gift of tongues. People were thinking they were holier and more mature as Christians because they could speak in tongues. The word glossolalia, meaning uh, right here is using tongues of men and, and tongues of angels, right? Using tongues, the gift of tongues, isn't some form of jibber-jabber, mumbo-jumbo, incoherent noises. That is not speaking in tongues. But Paul wants to set some parameters of how that works. Because when using tongues, it's more for personal edification. It is between the speaker and God only. Only God understands what is being said. And Paul is making sure they understand that when you speak in tongues, it's only building up yourself. It's unintelligible speech. That's a phrase we're going to use a lot today. Unintelligible speech is one that cannot be understood by others. And that's what speaking in tongues is. But for someone who prophesies, he gives three points for the upbuilding, the encouragement, and consolation. Right? Spiritual gifts are intended to build up others. They're intended to build up the church and glorify God. We see in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Not the individual good. The common good. And why? Because there is upbuilding, which is the process of building something up. The imagery we get is like an, an architectural picture, right? Where you're building from bottom up, where the foundation is strong, and you continue to build and to build and to build until the project is complete. It's also good for encouragement. And we're talking about exhortation, right? The lifting of another's spirit. The act of emboldening and empowering another person in their belief. And lastly, we see right here, consolation. Serving as an encouragement to someone who is downtrodden, depressed, discouraged, in deep grief. The image we get right here is of comforting someone along their walk through life. Such as in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, which tells us, Therefore, encourage one another and build another up, just as you are doing. 
So reading this and seeing these characteristics of prophecy, we see that this isn't about future fortune-telling magic eight ball. This is talking about building up the church for the work of the ministry. This is done through intelligible speech, words that people can understand. Paul goes back and forth reminding them about tongues and and prophecy and tongues and prophecy. Again, right? Tongues is about self-edification, which is not a bad thing. But in a public setting, because believers must be edified too, prophecy is going to work much better. Paul is not saying that tongues is a bad gift or a useless gift. He's not insulting it. Because if he did, he wouldn't have written 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which says that all gifts are needed to build up the church. But in view of public worship, that's what we're talking about here. The context is public worship in a church setting. Prophecy is more beneficial to build the church up. Because prophesying focuses on the common good. It's building the church community, the church family into one. The mindset of prophecy is group-oriented and not individualistic. Verse 5 confirms. He's not messing with tongues. He's not insulting tongues. The, Paul wants the members of the church to understand what is intelligible versus unintelligible. And he's repetitive because he doesn't want to leave anything out. He wants, when he finishes this chapter, for everyone to clearly understand what he's trying to come across with. And so he wants them to remember that when you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking to God only. And it's going to be understood by God only. And it builds up the speaker only. But prophecy, you're speaking to your fellow brothers and sisters. It's going to be understood by your fellow brothers and sisters. And lastly, it builds up the church. But Paul does give one point where tongues can be beneficial like prophecy. If someone interprets because then it can be used to build up others and why because it's intelligible and people can understand what is being said the church members should pray if they have the gift of tongues that they also have someone interpret so the revelation they have can be muttered or given to the church so everyone will understand and worship together knowing what's going on and they should desire to want to interpret because an agape love isn't about showboating your spiritual gifts Paul continues to talk about why we want to build up the church. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit and excuse me, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking to the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. We see right here that Paul addresses them as brothers. He's using this familial term because he wants them to remember he loves them. He corrects them in love. He is motivated by love to address these people in the church. And also with that, when you receive a harsh lesson when you're doing things wrong, if someone comes to you in love, you're going to be more receptive to doing that, which is something we should always remember. When we're going to come and correct someone, we reprove and rebuke in loving ways. Because remember, up to this point, 
From our perspective, the Corinthian church has been taking a loss in regards to doing a lot of things such as sexual immorality, gender roles, pride, arrogance, abusing communion. They're getting lashed at by Paul, but Paul's doing it in a loving manner. And the great teacher that Paul has been gifted by God, he uses analogies for them to understand. He appeals to their logic. He says right here in verse 6, If I'm only going to speak in tongues, how am I going to benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If I'm going to give you these things, but you don't understand it, does it really matter? Right? Because there's no such thing as revelation without prophecy, right? Revelation is words one receives from God, and prophecy is the means of communicating those words. And then he talks about knowledge and teaching. Knowledge is the information that a person possesses, and teaching is the means of communicating that information or knowledge to someone. But if you're using unintelligible words, it doesn't matter because no one knows what you are saying. And so Paul's like, if you don't get that, let me give you a couple more analogies. Music. Who doesn't love or like music? I love music. And the end, why do people like music? Because it sounds good. Because it feels good to your core. When good music hits you, you're like, yes. And so... If music doesn't sound good, though, if it's not synced up, if the notes and the singers and the harmonies and the melodies are all a mess, you have jazz music. Just like when Angela Martin says in The Office, jazz is stupid, why don't they just play the right notes? All jokes aside, though, music to sound good has to sound good because if it's not, it's just noise, right? Paul's like, if you don't get that, though, Here's another analogy. He uses a musical instrument again, but this time in a different setting. If a bugle gives an indistinct sound, who's going to get ready for battle, right? You have a bugler playing the bugle, and what he plays issues commands for the army, whether they should retreat, flank, set up, attack, or whatever. But if he's out there, that's what a bugle sounds like. I don't know what. But if they don't know what he's playing, it's going to be catastrophic. They're going to be left out, and the reality is they're going to be defeated. That's what he's saying tongues is like when it's uninterpreted in a public worship setting. This is madness! But he continues. If that didn't make sense, let me give you another analogy. Right? Paul goes back to discussing about how believers use their gifts of tongues in church, in a public worship. If no one understands what you're saying, he's using language here, phone, which is the same as glossolalia. If they don't understand the, no- the sounds or the languages that you're saying, does it really matter? You're going to sound like a foreigner. And foreigner here is the word barbarian, right? Someone that's going to mutter like a barbarian. The the literal sound you make is going to be bar, 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 bar. This is also going to be kind of a challenge to the Corinthian church members, right? Because they love to speak with eloquence. They love to show their knowledge. And he's saying, instead of sounding like masterpiece theater, you're going to sound like bar, 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 bar. Using unintelligible words. I can tell you something really, really important, but if you can't understand it, does it really matter? So my wife and I, we just celebrated our 18th year anniversary. Amen to God for his faithfulness and goodness by giving me such an amazing wife. I love my wife. I'm very, oh. You don't understand what I really said there. So here's the analogy. If we're going to brag on someone, 
If we're going to tell about how faithful God is through someone or about someone and you don't understand, that doesn't do much good, does it? It just sounds like noise for those that don't understand what's being said. In verse 12, So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He's saying since you are so eager to use these spiritual gifts, and he's talking about specifically tongues, since you are so eager to use tongues, how about be zealous to build up the church and use prophecy instead and pray to be able to prophesy? Because if you're eager to use these gifts, wonderful, great. Make sure love is your motivation. Remember the purpose of exercising your gift is to edify and build up the church. If your desire is to edify and build up yourself and show off, then you're missing the whole point to begin with. And he wants you to, again, stop, pump the brakes, and recalibrate. He wants you to build up the church with the grace gifts that have been given to you. But he continues, leaving no stone unturned, nothing to be questioned, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Your spirit and your mind. He says, you want gifts? You want tongues? Awesome. But don't just pray for tongues. Pray for interpreting also. You want both. Pray that you can have the tongues interpreted when the gift is used. So we see here that Paul is still confirming that tongues is a good gift. One that can and should be used as long as the setting is correct. And he says as long as you do it in the parameters given. Paul has never suggested to abandon this gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul continues to shift and explain why prophecy is better in verses 14 and 15. He now focuses on continuing how do they pray in public? How do they pray in church? And he talks about using your spirit and mind. If you pray in tongues and you don't interpret, God knows what you're saying, but again, no one else does. The spirit here isn't the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the human spirit, the emotion, right? Because emotion is a part of our worship. And that's okay but it can't dictate entirely how we worship. When you pray in tongues and you don't know what's being said, is it really building up the church? Or are you just making yourself feel good? We have to think about that. Paul is stating that there must be a place for the mind as well, along with emotion in public worship. In verse 15 it says, you don't just rely on emotions when using your gifts. Use your mind, your intellect as well. That's why God gave you a brain. Literally. Paul doesn't want the church to just worship in emotion alone. Use your mind as well. Let me clarify some things because this is where lots of arguments happen, right? Paul is not advocating for cold orthodoxy, right? Where we can't show any emotion. We can't show how thankful we are for the greatest gift ever given to mankind. But he's not coming over here and just saying, be spiritually high and super emotional and let that dictate how you worship. Because that is not in self-control either. Do both. Why do we as Christians always have to be swinging in one side or the other? Why can't we be scriptural? Literally, let's just do what the Bible says. 
the mind must worship in both spirit and truth. Jesus said that very thing. John 4.24. I'm going to take what he says the most seriously. And so we continue in verses 16 to 19. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul gives this example, this scenario, that when you're praying in uninterpreted tongues, in unintelligible speech, how can an outsider say amen? So this is a fellow believer, maybe someone that's new to the faith walk, someone newer in the journey, because an unbeliever is not going to say amen to what you say in church. But a new believer comes in and just hears this. You think they're going to be encouraged, excited, discouraged, confused? I would say for me as a middle school student, going to that church service, I felt more inadequate than I did encouraged leaving that service. They can't say amen. They can't say so be it and agree with you. So how much more awesome would it be if your fellow brothers and sisters could jump in on the praise alongside you as you pray, as you sing, as you learn? Because what a mighty noise the church can make when everyone understands what's going on, when everyone is united and moving forward to, to tell everyone about the crucified Christ. If you're truly motivated by an agape, selfless love, you're going to exercise your gifts you want your church family to get involved. You want them to join in on the celebration. You want them to worship alongside you. Paul tells the church, I thank God that I can speak in tongues more than all of you. No, 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 no. Nope, that's not the attitude, right? The reality is the opposite. The Corinthian church could be like, man, why is Paul hating on us? That's how they talk, right? Why, why, are they hating, why is he hating on us? Paul's like, look, I understand I can speak in tongues too but I do it in the right setting. So here they will understand that Paul isn't just hating on them. He's saying, yes, use your gifts. Use it correctly. But not can he only speak in tongues. He can speak in more than all of them. Paul knows different languages and whatnot. Paul stresses the importance of using the gift correctly. And he gives this hyperbole that, again, if you're still up to this point, in the last 18 verses, don't get what he's trying to come across as. He says right here, I would rather speak five intelligible words that make sense, that everyone can understand, more than 10,000 unintelligible words in a tongue. I mean, okay, we get it, Paul. Cool. And why? To build up the church. Church is not about us. It should never be about us, about us. If it becomes about us, then we're missing the mark. When we serve and exercise our gifts in church, it's not about us. It's to build up the church to make this bride as beautiful as she can be when Christ returns to bring her home. You see, that is the motivation behind spiritual gifts. That is what we want to do. Everything we do is to build up the church. But wait, there's more. In these last five verses, Paul says, Brothers, 
Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophets and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Paul saying, hey brothers, let me give you another good word to understand what you want to do and how you should do it. In verse 20, he's continuing to keep them engaged. Don't be childish in your thinking. Using tongue without an interpreter is childish. It is not mature. Be childish in your thinking is saying that I'm going to speak and use my gifts however I want. That's being immature. Because the aim is not just your own edification, it's to build up the church. But be childlike when it comes to evil. Like when Jesus says in Matthew 10, 16, to have faith like a child, the concept there isn't be like a kid and be reckless and knock over everything. No, your experience in life is limited. Be like that. Be limited in your experience with evil. And how? Be mature in your thinking. In your approach to doctrine and practice, be mature. In your relationships with other believers, be mature. In your approach to, go, to being a part of the church, to building up the church, be mature. Paul quotes from Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12 right here. But it's a, a loose quote, loose translation, because what he's wanting to do is get them to understand a specific thing in regards to tongues. And so the story right here of this passage in Isaiah is God gave Isaiah a prophecy to tell Israel to say, hey guys, turn from your sin and go back to God. And if not, a foreign army is going to come in and conquer you, which we see is Assyria. And we see Israel failed miserably in that because they were conquered. But Paul gives this illustration, which is kind of weird, but you think about it from this standpoint. The foreign language that Israel heard was unintelligible to them. The Assyrian army came in and conquered and defeated them, and they had no idea what was being said. And so the view here is that when you don't understand what's being said, if you're not a believer, is this going to be like judgment on you? If you're an unbeliever and you walk into a worship service and they're all speaking in tongues, you can't understand what's being said there's judgment on you because you cannot respond the proper way to the gospel of hope in Jesus Christ. He continues in verses 23 to 25 though. But if the church comes together and prophesy, think of the possibilities. Think bigger. If an unbeliever comes into church and they, there is unintelligible speech, there is prophesying then the unbeliever can understand the words that are being used to pray to God, sing to God, to worship God. Therefore, they will understand the words of why Jesus needed to come to this earth. 
They will understand the words when the church is thanking God for Jesus Christ. And they will understand the words when the church thanks God for sending Jesus that while they were still sinners, Jesus died for all of them. They will understand the words that if someone confesses with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead three days later, they will be saved. They will understand the words that as a follower of Jesus, they are a new creation. They are no longer who they were in sin. They will understand the words that as a believer, they have peace with God. They will understand the words that they can have hope. Understanding that the hope and desire is that an unbeliever understanding these words that the Spirit will convict him and that day he or she will make Christ Lord. What another celebration you can have in a church service. But if they don't know what those words mean or aren't being said, we miss the point. We miss the mark. Because the unbeliever will not be able to recognize any of this with unintelligible words being used. They can see a picture, but they don't know what the picture represents. It doesn't matter. So, 2021, this is what I always say. What do we do with this, though? Right? We have to think big picture on why Paul is writing understanding that the Corinthian church was struggling, that they were divided because everyone thought they were super special and more better than others. He wants them to remember that self-edification is a result of your gifts being used, not the purpose. The purpose of your gift isn't to be like, look at me, I can do this and that and this and that. No, the purpose is you get built up as you use those gifts to glorify God and to build up the church. Spiritual gifts. They do not define who you are in Christ. Christ defines who you are. Do not ever let that change. And don't fall into the trap that Satan will try to use saying you are more valuable than this person in the church. Or don't even fall into the trap that you are less than. Christ crucified for all. We are a united front and we must be that ways when it comes to exercising our gifts. To build up the church. Lastly, worship. Your approach to worship can never be selfish. It can never be individualistic. There is no such thing as church of one. And worship must always be clear and understandable. Use your mind and your heart. Build up the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning as we study these difficult and challenging words that Paul gives, which I believe are rather simple for us to think big picture, that our aim is to build up the church, to have her ready to present to you blameless and perfect as possible when you return. Father, may that be our motivation at all times when we serve and utilize our gifts, whatever they may be, it may always be to serve one another, to focus on the common good, to build up the church. Father, may our gifts unite us instead of dividing us. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the hope of glory if we have placed our trust and faith in your Son's name alone, believing that he is Lord. Father, may that be our motivation to take 
how we use our gifts and to build up the church. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Won't you stand and sing with us?
Ephesians 4. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God bless y'all. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark.